listening to the CyberSide Chat podcast series where we examine issues related to our hybrid world. This podcast is the audio from a video over on the Lars Institute YouTube channel. One of the core challenges in running an incident response is getting a disparate group of subject matter ex- experts or SMEs aligned core principles in realizing that they're all working together towards the same objective. And while it may sound easy in many cases, it's quite challenging, particularly when people are under stress and frankly, maybe working together for the first time in a crisis. So I think the way companies really need to focus on planning incident response and project managing an incident response is to start with the four core principles that any company really runs upon, which are business strategy, operational resiliency, legal compliance, and financial performance. The green boxes represent value drivers. The red boxes really represent risk controls. And for any situation, the company's looking at two main risk controls, which are operational resiliency and legal compliance. And sometimes those are related. A lack of resiliency can create legal issues, and legal issues can frankly also create resiliency issues. But it all has to fit together. And for cyber, as we'll talk about in the next slide, cyber itself really isn't a risk for the company. It's a root cause. And so as we think about how to organize efforts around governance, around managing a crisis, including an incident, which frankly, most incidents, when they're escalated, particularly to a board, are crises, we have to look at the operational resiliency and legal compliance issues that are associated with it. One thing I think you do hear at times is you'll hear other terms used, whether it's trust or brand or other things really that that are tied to to non-cyber crises or incidents. And it's not that I think those things are really in any way unimportant for a company, but I think they're a level below these four points. Um, And you can see that if you look at certain companies. An example is a company that has a monopoly situation, such as an energy utility. Trust may matter and, and does matter, but trust may not matter in the same way it does for a company with different products or services that are more fungible. For the utility, to use privacy as an example, Trust around data may matter less than trust around keeping the grid up. And that's really a core resiliency issue. So what I'd say is, as you're looking at these issues, really where you hear companies say they're focused on trust or brand, at the end of the day, what they're focused on is brand because or trust because it improves financial performance or resilience. Data is a good example, and that can be true with data in the sense that if I don't trust a company, I'm much less likely to give them my data. And in the hybrid world we're now in, where data is critical to business processes, that can cause a company not to be resilient anymore with its business processes. So the erosion of trust is directly related to the ability to get data in an organization. And that's why I do think trust or brand are really subpoints for resiliency and financial performance in a very real sense. There are legal issues here as well, but the point is for most situations involving data and connectivity, privacy and cyber, if you will, Certainly when you're in the middle of a crisis involving one or both of them, aligning the entire team to it's important and and aligning them to resiliency and legal compliance, not just one or the other, and not just how notice is going to be handled and not just overly focusing on the IT team or just the lawyers. This has to be a you know one company approach with all of the teams working together so they can put their best foot forward in a moment of crisis. And on this slide, you see those principles sort of pulled through and laid out in how a company operates, as well as a disruption of business processes inserted into the horizontal representation of a company's operations. And here, whether we want to call them core business principles, 
or corporate governance principles. The four principles we talked about before feed into the oversight layer for any company. And in the case of most companies, particularly public companies, the board of directors. Operations and business processes, however, are squarely within senior leadership and management's role. And that's how those four principles are really implemented or operationalized for any company. Those principles are pulled through into operations and processes that are created to help the company that represent those four points. And, and these processes either act, act as risk controls, value drivers, or both. And what you hope is your operations and oversight really align to this. And the point of that is when you look at cyber or you look at any kind of crisis, but certainly one that involves data and connectivity, the risk to the company isn't really cyber or privacy. We'll be talking about this in future cyberside chats and videos. And it's not that I think boards shouldn't be thinking about cyber or shouldn't be thinking about privacy, but thinking of it within that framework at some levels, the wrong level, particularly when you're talking about oversight and not operations, which is where boards are focused. And that's because ultimately the risk to the companies is disruption of operations and the root cause could be cyber, the root cause could be privacy, or it could be a natural disaster that causes you to lose a data center. And that's the example I frequently use when I speak about this. If you have a business process that is solely dependent on a data center with no redundancy, the risk to the company is the same irrespective of the root cause. If the data center goes down because of a power outage, a flood, ransomware, a privacy issue, it doesn't actually matter in terms of the business impact. The impact's going to be the same, which is really the risk to the company. That's where we start drawing this distinction. And that's not to say that the controls that are put in place to manage those root causes aren't different. They absolutely are. And you can see in the bottom right here where the controls are represented at, when you set up governance, there are controls specific to individual root causes. And that's where the subject matter expertise and the SMEs really come in and help a company here. And, and having some level of that laid out for the oversight layer is important. But that's not really the focus when we're talking about risk. And I think the context really matters here because there are business processes where you could have something taken down by ransomware. And at the end of the day, it may not have a significant impact on the company's resiliency or legal compliance. And for those kind of risks, it's probably not something that the senior leadership of your company is going to spend a lot of time on. And it may never make it to the board of directors. Or if it does, it's sort of a footnote that's discussed in a broader context. And that's really the point. Ransomware itself or a ransomware incident isn't necessarily a board level issue. It's because it's a root cause. It's really, you need to be focused on the business impact, which is the real risk to the company. And that is usually a disruption of operations of some kind, not the root cause of that disruption. When you're looking at legal consequences, those can differ due to the root cause, certainly depending on what the incident is. If there's a data breach and exfiltration of data, there are different legal consequences and different legal requirements. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at the business impact from a resiliency standpoint, certainly, the root cause becomes somewhat less relevant. It remains important, and it remains important through the process when you're recovering and you're preventing, trying to prevent these things from happening, including putting controls in. But the point is to separate risk and root cause because while they're related, ultimately they are different concepts. And I think too often we think of cyber as a risk when frankly, it's much more of a root cause.
And as we pivot to talking about how to manage a cyber attack, here you see really the four main steps. And granted, there's a lot of sub-steps, but these are the four main steps you're going to look at and frankly, as a company, work through containment, investigation, notice remediation, recovery, monitoring, and reporting. And at some level, these are distinctions that are artificial in the sense there's times where notice is going on in the middle of containment investigation. Your investigation is at some level starting from day one as part of containment, but it is a different process and, and it does at times and most times have sort of different people managing it versus containment. And there are different levels of attention paid to these issues as you go through them. And so in containment, one of the ways to, to think about it is related to the investigation. It's a much more horizontal investigation, meaning you're looking for where the threat actor is or was, particularly in a ransomware situation versus drilling down deeply and immediately into every step that the threat actor took to see what they did. Once the threat's contained, you'll move to a more deeper investigative phase because while you may not have fully eradicated the threat, you've contained it sufficiently and the investigation begins to drill down deeper, almost in a vertical way, which is now taking the touch points or footholds you found in the containment phase and drilling down to say, okay, what exactly happened? That includes what data may have been impacted or exfiltrated, what systems may have been impacted, and a variety of other facts. Really, the, the phase is different in that instead of using tools just to see the where and, and stopping activity, you're really focused on the what. It's at this point, you're sort of creating what may be called the one source of truth as you, you know, try to gather facts and really understand the full scope of what happened. During all of this, you're obviously trying to do remediation and eradicate the threat actor and, and maybe making other security improvements overall and recover. So there are times where recovery will happen with containment, uh, as well as investigation. You may be bringing systems back up and working through notice issues at those times. It's not that I think these things are really inherently separated in time, but understanding them as separate step steps really helps align work streams and drive a better process, even where the steps will overlap. Any complicated crisis response or incident response will have these things overlapping but each work stream should be distinct, even if it feeds one of the other work streams. As an example, the investigation phase really feeds the notice work stream, and it, it has to be managed to really ensure you get what you need for notice from the beginning. And examining that step, notice remediation recovery really occur fully when the investigation is done, though again, there will be overlapping processes and notice due to legal reasons, customer reasons, um, and you, you might have to do that initially during containment investigation with follow-up. The structure is important, as is the fact that the process itself should be tied at some level to the four principles we've talked about so that things are managed and overseen in a way consistent with the company's goals, risk tolerance, and risk appetite. This allows all of your teams to understand what the other teams are doing and ground this in principles that are familiar to senior leadership and the board. Not every work stream is going to be relevant to every incident response, but the ones you see here are important touchstones and important to think through as you plan for an IR, and this really expands on the prior slide. You will have a containment phase, which, as we talked about, is exactly what it sounds like, obviously referenced in the prior slide. The goal is to try to contain the threat actor or whatever you're dealing with. And frankly, it's at some level, containment's a blueprint around crisis management generally because that's really the first step is containing the crisis. Determining the root cause is obviously a critical thing. 
assessing the operational impact and the resiliency of your organization is also something that's going to be looked at very early as well. Even in a breach where there's just exfiltration of data, frankly, you're going to look at this because while there may not be an operational impact to start that's the same as encryption of systems, if the incident leaks and customers start cutting your data access off because they're not happy their data has been leaked, it can have an operational impact, including BCP issues. And where you typically see this uh, being front and center is an attack that impairs systems, which happens when someone attacks systems or encrypts them or changes passwords or perpetrates a DDoS attack. But the point is that erosion of the ability to get data, whether it's in the B2B space or the B2C space, can also have an operational impact given the importance of having data flowing through business processes and systems in order for companies to function. The investigation phase is important, but obviously it's not the first thing you're focused on because you're trying to contain and assess operational impact first. As you work through these stages, you're obviously trying to remediate a lot of different things while you're containing and investigating, and you're trying to clean systems. You're maybe trying to install things like EDR to help you see what's going on. You're trying to figure out root cause as part of the investigation and, frankly, containment, and then remediate whatever the root cause was, as well as fix systems that may be damaged or broken due to encryption or contaminated for other reasons. You then have legal and comms work streams as well. I didn't list notice here for a reason, which is notice, I think, is is sort of subsumed into both the legal and comm streams because notice can be because of legal reasons, including statutory, regulatory, and contractual obligations. But you also may need to do voluntary notices that aren't legally required, which fit into your overall communication strategy. You really have to do a stakeholder analysis there and see who your key stakeholders are, what you need to say in order to sort of keep keep the business running, particularly if you do have some type of visible interruption to your business processes. As you're going through an incident, you're going to have to manage all of these work streams at once, certainly to the extent they're relevant, but it's critical to understand that there are different work streams and there's going to be multiple different teams in many cases working on these work streams. And this is where it's important to, to really de-conflict everyone's roles. The reality is we've seen at times, certainly in the beginning, when we all started doing IRs, a belief that IT or information security professionals are the exclusive resource you need, whether that's internal or external. And they're obviously extremely critical. And in many cases, the cyber will be the root cause of a problem. But as you can see on this, this slide, there are a number of work streams that are not IT or IS related. Um, I'm in no way saying they should be excluded, quite the opposite, but it has to be an integrated team uh, because, look, business process impact alone isn't exclusively an IT issue, and many of these work streams just aren't exclusively IT or information security. So thinking through it, you really have to think through who's the right team to lead which part, where do we need resources, is it going to be internal or external, how are you coordinating and executing upon all of these work streams, and frankly, how are they going to be tracked in the middle of an incident when you're having to manage communications as well as a variety of other things? Because, um, you know, one of the things that can be very difficult is if things aren't tracked, people feel like they're in the middle of a crisis and, and nothing's happening. Even if things are happening, um, the communications among the team and what's happening and to senior leadership, if it's a material issue, is also critical because you want everyone to understand 
what's going on so the right decisions can be made at the right time by the right people. And what I've done here is really take the prior slides and combine them together to show how a company really should be thinking about a response. We're starting with the four business principles or corporate governance principles, and that gets pulled down into corporate operations. We're then really looking at, in, in our focus, connectivity and data and how they're enabling or facilitating corporate operations or business processes, which in our hybrid world is a significant amount for, for most companies, frankly. And so to return to the earlier point, the risk to companies is really the disruption of the flow of data or connectivity. The root cause for that, the issue we're talking about on this slide, is a cyber attack. And so you can see the process flowing as it did in the prior slide beneath that. But then I think we get into an issue that I'll call the root cause of the root cause. And, and just to preface my comments here, it's not that I think law enforcement has no role for the private sector here or the intelligence community, but you have to put it in context. And I had a board member on a breach I did once referred to it as playing cops and robbers. And the point is law enforcement can be extremely helpful in an incident, uh, a variety of forms of crises, and there's value to working with them um, in, for any number of reasons, but they have a completely different set of goals and a different mission. And you can see that on this slide. And what I'm trying to represent is if the cyber attack is the root cause of the risk to the company, the threat actor and what happens to the threat actor really relates to the root cause of the root cause. So what does that mean? It means you're really two-step removed at minimum from the actual risk to the company. So when you're looking at what happens to the threat actor, it's, it's not core to what the company is really going to care about. Now, are there times where particularly the FBI can be very helpful, whether it's getting information, sometimes decryption keys, or even trying to get money back in a ransomware situation? Of course. And it's important for companies to try and work with law enforcement to help mitigate threats and and work with law enforcement for a variety of other reasons. But the point is, law enforcement in most cases is unable or sometimes unwilling to help the company recover in every way they could. And that's the point. And I'm not being critical, again, of law enforcement for that. The issue is that the company's goals aren't always aligned to those of law enforcement. The FBI is an organization that's focused on investigating criminal behavior. And as we'll discuss in the next slide, if there's generally a choice between charging a criminal or helping a company, they're going to choose actions that support their efforts to charge a criminal. And that frankly may result in them not giving you all the information they have because it might compromise their investigation. And I understand that. I'm in no way critical of that, quite the opposite. But I also would not be critical of a company for being more focused on recovering from an incident versus enabling law enforcement to prosecute a criminal when it really doesn't help the company. And that's the point. The private sector's focus and the FBI's focus aren't always aligned because the private sector is focused on recovery and law enforcement is not surprisingly focused on enforcing laws. So the point is not to ignore law enforcement, but to actually understand it in context so that you can actually facilitate the communications that should happen. The company, again, is focused on the middle stack of the slide and where there can be fusion between law enforcement during the investigation is really the critical piece here, right? Sometimes that bleeds over into the containment phase, but at the end of the day, it's not a great outcome for a company if they aren't able to recover 
but the threat actor is put in jail two years later when he or she is charged. And this also goes at some level to the skill sets in play. Law enforcement professionals have a lot of important skills, including deep experience in investigations. And while those skills are important to certain phases of the work of IR, as has been shown in prior slides, they're by no means the only skills needed for a company to recover from and appropriately manage an incident because the focus investigation is a means to an end, not the end. And in many cases for law enforcement, that investigation really is the focus to get to the point where there's enough evidence to charge a criminal. And this slide really picks up all of the points on the prior slide and, and tries to really show this in a, in a timeline. And, and part of that, what we're trying to show here is that for most companies, the skill set focused on charging, arresting, and convicting criminals isn't necessarily what you're going to want or need in the middle of an incident, certainly exclusively. What this shows is how different entities phase in and out of different parts of an event. You have DHS and CISO, which are really focused on risk mitigation, trying to get best practices out there for certain industries and saying, here's things you can do to try to prevent an event from happening. There's a variety of members of the intelligence community or IC that are doing threat intel, gathering and perhaps exploiting that intelligence. And that in many cases is largely invisible to the private sector, but it is occurring and it does feed into a variety of other information feeds that the private sector may get. If we represent a cyber event as the yellow box, you can really see a lot of the DHS work and the CISA work is going on pre-event. The FBI and DOJ here really phase in post-event for a company, which reflects that the FBI is going to be involved in an investigation of criminal conduct that already likely has occurred. That said, it may be pre-incident for certain companies because it may have already happened to other companies, but the relevance, if you will, of the FBI is criminal investigation and arrest of criminals. And for DOJ, it's the prosecution of criminals, which in virtually every case would occur after the incident and the impact on the company. And the point isn't, again, to say you should or shouldn't work with any particular agency, but it is important for companies to understand that there's a timing component to this and a skill set component to this. And the roles of each entity is really is critical to understand as you figure out what your information sharing strategy is. You can obviously go to the FBI and DOJ website and see what they say their primary mission is, which is really investigation, arrest, and prosecution. Does the FBI have a cyber beat? Of course. Does DOJ prioritize cyber? Of course. We do live in the hybrid world and, and federal and state law enforcement has done a good job of recognizing the criticality of connectivity and data. But the mission that they hold true to, given other options, in most cases is arrest and prosecution. And frankly, neither FBI nor DOJ has as a primary purpose risk mitigation or more importantly, disruption. And while both entities do have roles in the intelligence community, unlike the NSA or other members of the IC that, are, that don't have a law enforcement beat, that isn't their primary purpose either. Ultimately, the point is you can't sort of look at the federal government or any particular agency as a monolith, just like private companies. You wouldn't expect your HR department to do communications or your lawyers to be doing uh, you know, business impact assessments necessarily or other functions that aren't their core day-to-day -day job. And different agencies in the federal government have different roles and primary purposes. 
And while they may do other things, um, given a choice between outcomes, they're generally going to skew towards their primary mission. And as I noted before, the primary mission of the FBI is investigation and arrest of criminals. DOJ is going to really hew towards the criminal side and obviously prosecution, though DOJ does have some civil enforcement or, or civil roles as well. And look, both entities will help with disruption at times. But again, when you look at their primary mission here, it's as core law enforcement entities. That is completely distinct from where a private company's interests are going to be in the middle of recovering from a cyber incident because they are going, the company is going to be focused on containing and recovering and dealing with the fallout, right? From a communications standpoint, from a resiliency standpoint, from a legal standpoint. And sometimes all of these interests align in a way that is helpful for law enforcement and the private company. And frankly, sometimes they don't. As a result, what's really important is to understand upfront what your ask is of an agency, then understanding who the appropriate agency is and whether it's even likely or possible that that particular agency is going to be able and willing to help with what you need. Thanks for listening to and watching this video. We'll continue to do videos on a variety of topics related to our hybrid world, as well as cyber and incident response. Please join us for future CyberSide chats as we continue to examine issues related to the hybrid world.